Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Monday, January 22nd, 2018. Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and we got a lot to get to, but I suppose we should start with the big news of the weekend, and that's Zion Williamson committing to Duke. Five-star forward slash YouTube sensation urinated on everybody's crystal balls. Pick Duke over Clemson, South Carolina, North Carolina, Kentucky, and Kansas. So, uh, Norlander, as we discussed uh, uh, on the previous podcast, you were uh, on a mountain most of the weekend uh, getting in uh, some January skiing. So I know you didn't see um, everything that happened this weekend, but I'm also aware that you have a phone. So you were uh, made aware rather quickly that Zion Williamson had picked uh, Duke over all of those other schools. On a scale of one to GTFOH, how surprised were you by Zion's decision? I guess a shade or two uh, below GTFOH because – that was one that I didn't really think anyone saw coming truly, like even within the recruiting world. And I'll say this, I, I love when we get a true stunner. It's very hard and very rare, you know, in the in the modern era, if you want to consider that, say, the past decade of, of 247 sports and scout and, and just this crystal ball. You usually get, if, if there is a split decision, one of the two schools people, you know, experts are looking at will wind up being the pick. It, you don't often see... Uh, a top 10 recruit, even if the school's on his list, the way that Duke was on Zion's, um, really pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. And this absolutely happened here. Uh, as we mentioned on the previous podcast, Clemson was the strong favorite, uh, which in hindsight seems a little funky just because it's Clemson and you look at the schools it was going up against. But uh, can't emphasize enough how much Staying in that state did really mean something to that to Zion, his family, and that's why Clemson was considered uh, certainly a, a good probability. And if it wasn't Clemson, well, then maybe it would have been South Carolina coming off a Final Four appearance and Frank Martin and, and the fact that he has uh, developed a couple of pros there. Wasn't that. Wasn't the pull of John Calipari. And then this turns into a, a really bad week for Clemson and Kentucky. You know, Clemson... Starts it off by failing to win at North Carolina for the 59th consecutive time in program history. Then it drops its game. I guess the game, it lost its game after, or was it before the Notre Dame-Clemson? Was that before Zion's announcement? I think it was. Yes, oh. uh, they they won before. Oh, they won. Yeah, they won that okay, game. Okay, they won. All right. They were losing when I saw them at the lodge real quick. So, but they, Okay, but they won that. But then they don't get Zion, which is a total just... It's a dagger because, um, you know, the feeling was, was strong that uh, that he was going to go there. And now – Yeah, like, like you said, it's one thing not to get him. It's quite another thing when, like, 88% of recruiting analysts think you are going to get him. Your fan base gets excited. Your coaching staff must get excited. You think you're about to have this program-changing moment. And then it's like, nope, he's going to Duke. That yeah. That's just – I mean, that's a gut punch. That is a gut punch. And I, I got to be honest, like I would have loved to have seen Zion pick Clemson because it would have been so non-conventional, unconventional, and it would have provided a little bit of fun. But as I wrote in the story and, yeah, you know, <laughs> full transparency, I pre-wrote uh, different drafts of Zion <laughs> – commitment i did not pre-write a duke one so uh shout <laughs> so out to shout, my editor marcus nelson marcus nelson for handling that marcus is like uh take a look at this and make sure i got all the kentucky references out of it oh my gosh whatever. shout out to marcus <laughs> shout out to you for getting that because that was not something that anyone was expecting and now shashevsky has the top three players in uh this class you know we'll i'm sure we'll spend plenty of time um in the off season and the preseason talking about that we'll see what duke does the rest of this season and and 
comparatively going forward. I'm a little fascinated by that overall. And um, the one thing, so the one thing I did not see at GP as we record this podcast here uh, early Monday morning is what was the primary reason, uh, if, if it was K, then whatever. But aside from that, what, what was his explanation for why uh, he uh, wound up picking Duke? Oh, I mean, like, you know, he, he said all the normal things a high school senior would say. I mean, there was nothing unique about his announcement uh, other than his stepfather was still holding that kid. <laughs> so that yeah, was, I love it. That, that was the funniest part to me. I turned the television on, and there's Zion's stepfather. For people who don't know, Zion's stepfather coaches his summer team and, like, coaches his summer team literally while holding a baby. <laughs> like, like. Google it if you so don't believe good. me. I it was going to write about that, and then Lamelo Ball Zion like took over, and I never got to write about it last July because that was like a thing. It was it was not only a thing; it was the funniest thing because I can't remember what coach I was talking to beforehand, and he was like, "Have you ever seen Zion's stepdad coach?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I, maybe he's like he, he it's it's the funniest thing ever. Like he's he'll be holding a kid. I'm like, what do you mean holding a kid? He's like." No, he'll just be carrying a kid around. And if you remember, I'm like, what? He's like, it's you have to see it. So that Lamelo Ball Zion Williamson game, like it ended up tipping late. Like I think it like yeah. was after midnight on the East Coast. I mean, it was late. It was like ten o'clock, ten thirty at night. So this kid, because he's a kid, was asleep. So you would think once the kid goes to sleep, you're not, nope, going to hold him the whole game. Held a sleeping child the entire game. So I turned on the TV Saturday night. And there's Zion and uh, his mother and Zion's stepfather, and he's holding that kid. I'm starting to wonder if he, if the kid's attached to him. Like, is, is it possible that the kid's like – he's not holding the kid as much as he's connected to the kid. But it's just the funniest visual. And then, you know, he like talked about Duke and, uh, you know, the brotherhood and it made you feel like a family. It was just all the same stuff. Okay. Nothing. I mean, he just, he just picked uh, Duke. And you didn't even uh, – it's possible you don't know this. I, I I can't overstate how much you've been on a mountain. Uh, Dante Grantham out for the year. Uh, I did see that. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like you talk about a bad weekend for Clemson. You go in a twenty-four hour period. You go from winning whatever game it was for them. Like you you you. I think maybe it was their seventeenth win. Let me double check it. It was their. 16th win. So you improved to 16 and three, and you think within a couple of hours you're getting a commitment from a top five player in America, an in-state star who could be, um, you know, a, 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 one of the all-time, you know, he goes off to the NBA and and Clemson fans are become a fan of whatever franchise drafts him. Like he could have that kind of impact on your program. And then, boom, rips your heart out. He's going to Duke. And then, boom, you get the uh, confirmation the following morning. Dante Grantham, who's averaging like 14 points per game, like 14 and 8 or something, um, from a top 20 team, is done for the year. And it's just like, what well, you lose a key player and you lose the what would have been the, the most notable recruit in the history of your program, certainly modern history, all inside of 24 hours. It's just uh, – just awful for 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 Clemson. Even though you know you you wake up on Monday and you go, hey, we're still sixteen and three, still ranked in the top twenty five, still headed to the NCAA tournament, probably. Um, but uh, just a bit. It's hard to win on a Saturday and call it a bad weekend. Yeah. But but it was a they won on Saturday and had a all. You could argue, I think, reasonably, they had the worst weekend of any college basketball program in America. They lost a key player for the season. And missed out on, on Zion. But as for his explanation, there was nothing uh, unique there. You mentioned now Duke has a commitment from the number one, number two, 
and number three players uh, in the class of 2018. It's R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Zion Williamson. Nobody's ever done that before. It doesn't necessarily Top mean three in one class. It, yeah, no, nobody. I mean, since they uh, since people have been ranking players, right? Nobody, nobody has ever done that, and so it doesn't mean this is the best class in the history of college basketball. I don't guess, but it is true that nobody has ever secured commitments from the consensus top three players in um in a recruiting class. And oh, by the way, they also got Trey Jones committed, who's like the number one point guard prospect and yeah. ranked eighth in the country at twenty four seven Sports. So. Uh, they've got four of the top eight players committed and set to enroll. Is it is it too early to just go ahead and say no matter what happens, Duke's probably number one preseason next season? Okay, so yes, it is. Um, and I will say that uh, Trey Jones will enter college as, as as a better pro prospect than his brother Tyus was. Tyus became a surprisingly good NBA prospect in the course of a year was actually kind of similar to uh, to Trey Young in that, like, Trey Young was envisioned as a guy that can probably get to the This is like a year and a half ago. Yeah, he can probably get to the league eventually if he can, you know, do some things with his game at the college level, but by no means a one-and-done player. That was Tyus Jones, too. And then Tyus, along with uh, Jelly Local 4 and Justice Winslow, wins a national championship. His stock's never been higher. He goes one-and-done. His brother is actually better than that, um, or at least projects right now and was a better uh, player than that. Um, but we look at what, and I know we're going to get to Kentucky here in a second, but we look at what Kentucky's not doing this season, and we look at Duke and how it's been good, but not as good as its preseason ranking would have been. More and more, like, yes, they are going to have just an abs- another loaded freshman class, um, but I am more and more hesitant to jump on that sort of bandwagon that says, okay, all these dudes were awesome. It's such an overwhelmingly strong uh, incoming recruiting class. You know, think about who Duke is going to lose next year. Uh, Duke's probably going to – they've already had one player transfer out who's now at Butler. Um, Would not shock me if they had at least another transfer out. Um, So how much veteran presence are they going to have next season – I would resist right now at putting Duke number one, uh, but certainly they have to unquestionably, with who they have coming in, uh, be top three, top four. But that's just me. Sure. I mean, you would hope if you're Duke, you get some of these guys back. Obviously, you're not getting Marvin Bagley back. I don't think you get Wendell Carter back. Um, Duvall, maybe, but do you even want him? I mean, like, you know, if you got Trey Jones coming out, you could play them together. Yeah. Um, uh, But, I mean, uh, Gary Trent, Gary Trent could come back. He could, I think. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if he gets he if he winds up being I, on the Frank Jackson plan, where like he does just enough, and they get you know near that first round kind of guarantee. Maybe he just goes. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um. But to your point, um, and I think it's a good point, and one that would be a change of course for me, probably more so than it is for you. Like I'm a big believer in talent, sort of a sucker for talent. You know, you show me. Um, a team with five five star starters, I'll just assume they're going to be great. And yet, if you look at uh, whether it's the top of the, uh, you know, uh, like look at the top at Ken Palm right now, the top three teams, Villanova, Purdue, Virginia. That's right. not, the, those teams aren't built on five-star freshmen. Um, yeah. You know, they, they're talented, uh, but they're not built on five-star freshmen. They, they have uh, some nice roster balance, experienced guys. And I, and I don't, um, I don't think that's an accident. So when I asked you that question, uh, is it too early to, 
go ahead and just say, hey, whatever happens, happens. Duke's going to be number one next preseason based on the recruiting class that they are going to enroll. Um, I think you answered it the way I would have answered it. Yeah, it is too early for that. Like, let's wait and see, um, you know, what else happens around the country. But, like, what does Duke bring back? Because, um, you know, rolling out five freshmen in your starting lineup, which is what Kentucky has been doing, and um, it's near, you know, take Grayson out of it. It's what Duke would be doing. It's not the easiest thing uh, in the world to do. You know, roster balance is important. Talent, obviously, also important. But, um, you know, the, the, the roster balance matters. And so, yeah, let's wait and see, um, you know, what Duke brings back. Um, and, of course, what else happens around the country. I want to ask you about this because, um, like you, I had pre-written the Zion Williamson uh, 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 story. Mine was a column. Yours was sort of the straight news or mostly the straight news. And I'd written a whole like 700-word column about Clemson. A lot of it was based on what we talked about on the previous podcast, like Brad Brownell spends last March on the hot seat. He's having multiple meetings with his athletic director. There are people who think he's going to be moved and – uh, Clemson is going to pursue Will Wade from BCU because he's a Clemson graduate. And I think they'd have probably been able to get that done if they wanted to get that done. And yet the athletic director decides to give him another year at least. And then, you know, they're in the top 25 now. And, and now he's got a commitment from Zion Williamson. And, and wow, you know, a lot can change in a matter of 10 months. And it was that kind of column. Uh, delete that whole thing. <laughs> like really just like deleted the whole thing. I mean, I've got it. I might, I, I'll, I'll send it to a Clemson fan sometime if you want to read it. You can put it on your message board <laughs> and dream about what could have been. Uh, so I'm like, okay, now what am I going to do? And uh, so I started looking at it. And then, uh, we've touched on this before, but I really do think it's amazing. And I'd never written about it, I don't think, so I decided to. Mike Krzyzewski's 70 years old, and he's just done something that not only he's never done, but that nobody's ever done which is secure commitments from the top three players in a high school class. Um, how many 70-year-olds are their best professional self at 70? Like how many people become their best professional selves at 70? And I know you can argue, well, he's not his best professional self because he went to X amount of Final Fours in a row once upon a time and and won these cha- – like he hasn't won a championship in his 70s yet, so this isn't necessarily his best professional self. And I hear you, but I think you could – reasonably argue that he is running his program right now as well as he's ever run it. Like they have been preseason number one, two years in a row. They can be next season for a third year in a row. He is recruiting at a, his better than he's ever recruited. He's out recruiting John Calipari, who is widely considered to be the greatest recruiter in the history of college sports. Um, so you can reasonably say that he is running his program right now as well as he's ever run his program. And he's the freaking goat. And he's running his program as well right now at the age of 70. And that is bananas to me because you start thinking of other people who have been their best professional selves at 70. And I'm talking about in any walk of life. And the list is remarkably short. Like we turned it into a little bit of a brainstorming session. And you could argue, I think, Ronald Reagan. You know, he spent his well, first I year as pre- say, Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Trump got to the presidency in his 70s, so, like... Yeah, the, the way I prefaced like, it... If you want to objectively I, yeah. look at it like that, that's really the right. only... That might be the only real thing that that you can compare it to, but it's almost like the job. It doesn't require you to be that old. Obviously, we've had plenty of presidents. Uh, right, yeah, I, I guess... Um, I guess what, the way I would I would frame the Krzyzewski argument is he's his best professional self at 70, 
and also awesome at his job. So if you wanted to be anti-Trump, mm-hmm. you could say, okay, he has his best professional self at 70. He's the president of the United States, but is he awesome at his job? The approval ratings don't say so. Yeah. Uh, so like, um, but you know, Ronald Reagan had incredible approval ratings. I'm not sure about early, but certainly over an eight year span. He, and that was all done in his seventies. Um, so you, I think you could put him on the list. Um, Clint Eastwood won best director at the Academy Awards when he was in his seventies. Like that's, that's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Bobby Bowden, I, I believe, went undefeated and won a national championship. I definitely won a national championship. I think it was undefeated when he was in his 70s. You could argue that's his best professional self. But, um, you know, it's, the list is very short. And, and like, the idea that he is still operating at this level uh, is, is unique and incredible. And I, I don't know that enough people focus on that. Everybody acknowledges he's the best to ever do it. But the idea that he's not slipping at all. I mean, you look around, in, particularly in college football, you know, when those legends get to a certain age, it just goes away. Spurrier, uh, Paterno, uh, even Bobby Bowden, it, it, it just goes away on you. And yet, like I said, he's been the coach of the preseason number one team two years in a row. I know Duke has been like slightly disappointed. I don't even know if that's fair. I've got him ranked third in the freaking country. You know, like they're a consensus top five team right now. He's recruiting at an all-time level. It's it's just uh, absolutely incredible. And yes, his staff deserves a lot of credit. I don't think he's out there doing this by himself. No coach could. But still, he's running a program as well as he's ever run it at the age of 70. That's incredible to me. It is. Uh, what I will be interested in is what does Duke do later this season? And then with this group next season, how does the team perform and how does it do in March? So the next two NCAA tournaments – what will Duke do, and then will there be some backlash towards Krzyzewski if this team underperforms the way that Calipari has started to receive some because, you know, Cal has had a top-two recruiting class every time he's gotten to Kentucky, and he's made plenty of Final Fours. Uh, for some people, foolishly, that's not enough. There's an idea that oh, he's only won one national championship. He's, he's underachieved. I would fight against that and look at the big picture of what Cal has actually done. And uh, in the grand scheme, yes, there have been some disappointments, and this season is at the top of them, in my opinion, coming off that home loss to Florida. Um, but my greater point here is Krzyzewski is operating at an incredibly high level, and I wonder if because of this and because of the uh, the continued dominance on the recruiting trail, and you can easily make the claim that uh, Krzyzewski is now outpacing Cal, uh, albeit, you know, only by a couple of strides here, um, that will come with more conversation about, okay, well, is he going to be able to, is he, since he's he's gone with the John Calipari model, which isn't entirely accurate, but whatever, um, can he can he win uh, big with this? And if he doesn't, I just wonder if there'll be some rebukes coming, uh, maybe March of 2019. Just keep, keep that in the back of your mind. It may or may not happen, but Duke will certainly be uh, extremely interesting next season. Um, I'm... Uh, I'm I'm interested to see how those three play together, and I'm I'm not convinced that Zion is going to be uh, the kind of player at Duke that he's been as a as a prep prospect. Maybe he will be. I don't know. We'll see. It's definitely going to be fascinating. Um, there's already some pushback on the Duke thing. Like when you write, um, when you ranked them preseason number one this season, it was like, oh, how'd that work out for you last year? And when you uh, write about how they've got this unbelievable recruiting class set to enroll again. It's like, oh, wow, they'll lose. Can't wait to watch them lose at Boston College again. You know, you get a little bit of that already. I guess I would just say this. 
the most frustrating thing I hear from anti-Duke people, which is like just about everybody except Duke people, is, oh, how did it work out for them last season? It worked out for them last season remarkably well. They were a two seed in the NCAA tournament, despite missing their head coach for a string of games, despite Grayson Allen being a maniac, despite Harry Giles never being relevant, despite three of their top freshmen starting the season in street clothes. They still became a two seed in the NCAA tournament. I thought they should have been a one seed. They had more top 25 uh, RPI wins and top 50 RPI wins than anybody in the country on Selection Sunday. And then they got a bad draw. And they had to play a, a game against South Carolina and South Carolina, and they lost. Like, it's a single elimination tournament. But, like, over a four-month period, Duke was great. So, like, the idea that, like, somehow they were terrible last year is just – that's just fiction. You're not you, – you're, you're, you're using revisionist history. They were a very good team despite a bunch of obstacles that happened to lose a 40-minute game in the NCAA tournament earlier than they were projected to do so. It happens, but it doesn't mean that was a bad team. And then right now, listen, they were preseason number one, and they're not number one right now. So if you want to say that's disappointing, but they're, um, you know, they're a top five team. They're a two loss team, only losses, two road games. Um, still, I believe uh, the favorite or right there at the top of favorites to win the national championship. So you, you, that pushback, it's like rooted in stuff that doesn't really make much sense, like since Duke has been recruiting at this level, Duke has been uh, very consistently very, very good. You know, they won a national championship in 2015. Uh, they were a two-seed in the NCAA tournament last season. And if the bracket came out today, they'd be a top two seed as well. Things are going okay at Duke, and I suspect next year with this recruiting class on the way, um, they'll go well again. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy now, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or if you just need to find the perfect gift for somebody. Uh, SeatGeek can help you find the best seats at the best prices, all fully guaranteed. And listeners to this podcast, you can get 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase just by using the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB after you download that app. And you're buying tickets to anything. doesn't have to be uh, a college basketball game. It could be an NBA game, a football game, whatever you want to go to, a concert. You use that promo code COLLEGEBB, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And the best thing about SeatGeek is that um, it's going to search multiple ticket sites for you. That way you don't have to do that yourself. You don't have to go from this site to that site to that site to make sure you get the best seat, best value. SeatGeek will handle that for you, so make sure you're using SeatGeek. Again, download the app if you don't already have it, and next time you're buying tickets to anything, use it. And if you're buying tickets for the first time, use promo code COLLEGEBB to get 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. at SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. You mentioned Kentucky uh, lost to Florida at home on Saturday night, and that is true. They did lose to Florida at home on Saturday. Uh, on, on Saturday night, and now they are 14-5 and five overall, 4-3 and three in the SEC uh, for just the first time since 2011. As I wrote yesterday, Kentucky's now 2-2 two and two against top 50 Ken Palm teams. They've got two sub-50 losses as well. Um, they've got zero wins over currently ranked teams. They're 3-4 and four away from Rupp Arena, 59th in offensive efficiency, 28th in defensive efficiency, and not really great at anything other than getting to the free throw line and guarding the three-point uh, line. 
they're outside of the top 30 in Kempom right now. They are um, outside of the top 25 and one. I have dropped them outside of the top 25 and one before, but they are outside of the top 30, not this season, but in recent years, but they are outside of the top 30 at Kempom right now for the first time since 2013 at any point for the first time since 2013. And that of course is the year they went to the NIT after Nerland's Noel tore his ACL. But it's, it's important to remember that when Nerland's tore his ACL, they were still in the top 20 at Kempom at the time. So with a healthy roster, they were a top 20 team headed to the NCAA tournament. It took a season ending injury to their best player to, to create that spiral that sent them into the NIT. And I think, uh, outside of the top 50, maybe at Kenpom, but I guess I would just frame it this way. Um, this is the worst John Calipari coach team at Kentucky. Um, Which I that, said on the podcast two weeks right, ago. Right, yeah, that, that's been healthy. That, like, that has it. I know they're not completely healthy, but it's, with, with the best player healthy, John Calipari hasn't coached a team this poorly since I, and I should rephrase that. I, I don't mean he's coaching the team poorly. He hasn't coached a team that's that that is this bad or this not great. Um, I believe you have to go all the way back to 2005 at Memphis because in 2006, Elite Eight team, 2007, Elite Eight team, 2008, played for the championship, 2009 team, his last team at Memphis with Tyreek Evans finished like top five at Ken Palm, even though it got bounced in the Sweet 16. And obviously at Kentucky, his success is well documented. Um, you know, the, I, I, they're, they're going to make the NCAA tournament, but they have a very thin resume right now. You could start to imagine how they get close to the bubble and perhaps find themselves on the bubble. And while there's always, a, you know, an opportunity for people to get better and all of that, I, I don't know that this – I guess I'll be surprised. If you told me that I could bet on it, I would bet against this getting much better for them. You start to look at the schedule, like where are they going to have an easy time on the road? Almost nowhere. Everything on the road has been a struggle for them, even when they're playing bad teams and winning. Um, it's still a struggle. Like they, they, you know, they're in a, a, a couple of possession game late. Um, I think this is going to be what they are this season uh, because I, I, and I've said this before, all five-star prospects are not created equal. They've got a roster filled with five-star prospects, but they don't have an Anthony Davis. They don't have a Brandon Knight. They don't have a Julius Randle or a Carl Anthony Towns or a Jamal Murray or De'Aaron Fox. Like their best freshman is not anything like what their best freshman typically is. And I think that's showing up a little bit or a lot. It's showing up a lot. There's a lot going on with this team, a lot not going on with this team. Um, you know, I wrote last week that Kentucky, to me, was headed toward – purgatory in that seven to ten seed range still think that's the case but i'll tell you what if they don't steal a couple on the road here they they're going to be looking at a really tricky situation in terms of getting in the tournament and in a hurry and kentucky fans might be scoffing at that you won't be scoffing if if the next four road games you play you lose them all um the resume will be you know collecting itself toward a point where you're going to be compared with you know the number two or three team in the a10 the number seven or eight team in the big 12 the number five or six team in a weaker big 10 um, you, you got to try and get things right here and um, with every loss it seems like it's a different situation and I know like I actually saw 
um, the final few minutes of that Kentucky-Florida game. And I know that there's frustration over the officiating uh, down the stretch there. Don't put yourself in that situation overall. I mean, I, I just Florida is, a, is an okay team that at times has looked really good and at other times has looked bafflingly, bafflingly bad. Um, but I believe they're now uh, standalone in first place in the SEC, if I remember that yes. correctly. Yes. Um, but with Kentucky, it's it's they're just inconsistent things left and right here and there. Sometimes Wendy and Gabriel looks like, man, this is our best player, and that when I watch Kentucky, I'm like, no, that should not be the case. Like Wendy's got a got a great motor on him and can do some really good things that no one else on that team can do. But you're not getting the kind of um, dominant play, frankly, that you should be getting out of Knox. Uh, Diallo can provide sparks, but he shouldn't be a player that's just providing sparks. He should be a guy that, with his competitive streak, his athletic ability, his uh, his potential on the defensive end, should be better on a game-in, game-out basis. Quade Green, I know he hasn't been able uh, to be available for every game. Um, I, I, I think I'm at the point now where he, a year from now, will be a much better player than what he is now, and I think there's a certain ceiling on who he can be in this first season overall. So Kentucky's got... Um, some it still has fun potential, but this is uh, this is certainly just a, a weird season. And now comes the Zion news. Uh, he won't be joining next season. Kentucky won't have a top three prospect uh, in the class of 2018 on this roster next season. And who's going to go? Who's going to stay? How is Cal going to balance that? It could mean good things next season, but who's he going to bring in? And uh, you know the problem that Calipari presents himself with on an annual basis, which traditionally has not bit him too hard is when you have all these guys, well, then most of them are expected to be one and dones. And when that doesn't happen, um, who are you going to be able to bring in? And then are you going to have to do some serious ego massaging when it comes to minutes and stuff? And he's really good at that. Um, but this is, uh, this is really going sideways in a hurry here. And Kentucky at this point, it's, it, it can still be a, dangerously fun team, but it's not going to be a team that wins four in a row in March. I do, I do not think that this group is going to face the competition it's going to face in the tournament and have enough to get to San Antonio. It's not their, right year. Now, it's not their year. I don't think so either. Uh, right now at Ken Palm, they're projected to finish 20 and 11 overall, 10 and eight in the SEC. And if it went the way the projections suggest, um, they would finish the regular season with only three top 50 wins. Like that's, that's a bubble resume. Yeah, that's that's the ten seed in my opinion. Uh, they'd still be in in that in, in that case, I think. But you know, you're 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 on the bubble, and 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 you're in that final five or six teams that get in. Yeah, they're not projected to win another road game the rest of the season. Like they will be an underdog every time they're on the road the rest of this season. The re- remaining road games are at West Virginia, at Missouri, at Texas A&M, at Auburn, at Arkansas. At, those are all tough. At Florida. Like those are all those are all reasonable. Like those are all good teams. Um, you have to play on the road, and their only two road wins so far are at LSU uh, by three points and at Vanderbilt. They ended up winning by seven, but that was a tight game late. And so, yeah, I mean, I think if we're talking first week of March about Kentucky being on the bubble, like that won't be surprising to me. If I had to bet, I bet they end up in the NCAA tournament, but this could certainly go the wrong way on them. Um, it, it, I think the problem is 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 not that obviously they've dealt with some injuries, but that that's college basketball. 
Um, and it hasn't been an injury to like their best guy or even one of their top two guys. Um, and it's not season ending anywhere. Um, but I, th- I think the problem's the top of the roster. They do not have that that special special talent. And this is going to be if we can agree that Kevin Knox isn't going in the top ten of the NBA draft, and he might. I understand he might. But like for the sake of the conversation, let's just acknowledge that it, there's, there's certainly no guarantee of that. In fact, I think it's probably more likely than not he goes outside of the top ten somewhere in the teens. Um, and Shea Gilgis Alexander is not going in the top 10, and none of those guys. Hamadou Diallo is not going in the top 10. This will be the first time since, you guess, since what year? You know, I don't know if I want to do trivia with you today. <laughs> but yeah, last time, I know this one, though. I've researched every bit of it. For the record, um, on the last podcast, when we started the conversation with there are three teams projected to win every remaining regular season game at Ken Palm, or at least be favored in every remaining, the actual answer was there were 13. Yeah. There were 13. And uh, uh, I could even name them for you. They were Villanova, Gonzaga, Nevada, East Tennessee State, New Mexico State, Rhode Island, Vermont, Northern Kentucky, Bucknell, Buffalo, Michigan State, Stephen F. Austin, and Belmont. So 13. Uh, that's what the research showed. And uh, and so we had that way off, or I had that way off. Uh, here's a trivia question I actually know the answer to. This will be, if, if Kentucky doesn't place a player in the top 10 of the 2018 NBA draft, it will be the first time since when that John Calipari hasn't put a player in the top 10 of the NBA draft. 2005. No, 2007. Okay. Uh, he had, in 2008... Sure? I'm 100% sure. 2008, number one pick, Derrick Rose. 2009, number seven pick, Tyreek Evans. 2010, number one pick, John Wall. Number five pick, DeMarcus Cousins. 2011, number eight pick, Brandon Knight. 2012, number one pick, Anthony Davis. Number two pick, Michael K. Gilchrist. 2013, number six pick, Nerlens Noel. 2014, number seven pick, Julius Randle. 2015, uh, number one pick, Carl Anthony Towns. Number six pick, Willie Cauley-Stein. 2016, number seven pick, Jamal Murray. Last season, number five pick, De'Aaron Fox. And this year, I don't know. I don't think he's going to have one. And ultimately, I think that's the problem with Kentucky. Uh, they're, they're used to being young, so there's nothing. They're younger than usual, but there's nothing unique about Kentucky being young. Kentucky is almost always young. The problem is that the young talent at the top of the roster isn't as good as what Kentucky – uh, typically has, or what he had at Memphis in those last couple of years, at least. And so this is this is what you get. Um, I would say, and and you touched on this, and read our colleague Reed Forgave wrote about this over the weekend. It's something we talked about before. If you're looking for a positive of not having top shelf NBA talent on your roster at Kentucky, it's that some of these guys are going to come back to school. Um, I don't know which ones, but like even if you just bring back, say, PJ Washington, Quade Green. Nick Richards, Winyan Gabriel, uh, like just those guys. And you've got sophomores and a junior to go with. And I know they don't have a class like Kentucky right now. I mean, like Duke right now. They do have commitments from three top 25 prospects. Like they're, you know, uh, they're, they're still getting high level guys, five star guys. And so you, you add, you know, five star freshmen with sophomores. I think that's when you, like Cal's two best teams at Kentucky, uh, really, they're his three best teams at Kentucky, I think would be 2015, 2012, 2010. They all had some non-freshmen in prominent roles. Three of the top six scorers on the 2012 National Championship team were not freshmen. Everybody remembers the freshmen, Davis, Kid Gilchrist, 
uh, Marcus Teague, but they also had non-freshmen in prominent roles on that team. Um, the 2015 team obviously had non-freshmen in prominent roles. Willie Cauley-Stein, uh, the Harrison Twins. Um, 2010, you had Patrick Patterson. Um, you know, you you had players who weren't – next year they should have a roster that looks more like those rosters. Um, and I, I think you could be set up, up for a really nice 2018-19 season. But this 2017-18 season, uh, it just doesn't look like it's going to end up where it was supposed to end up given that they were ranked – uh, in the top five of the preseason AP poll. Let's move on. Uh, Oklahoma lost 83-81 in overtime on Saturday at Oklahoma State. Trey Young got a career-high 48 points, but he needed a career-high 39 shots to get those 48 points. I don't know how many times I've watched a player take 39 shots in a 45-minute game, but but I did watch Trey Young do it um, on Saturday. And I ended up writing about this uh, on Saturday afternoon. And one of the things I noted, because I started, because it was weird on Twitter, because you had like these two vastly different opinions. One was, yo, you can't take 39 shots in a game, like you know, like that's that's too much. You're you're not getting your teammates involved. You're supposed to be uh, a point guard who who gets your teammates involved. That's what he was doing earlier in the season. Now he's taking damn near 40 shots, and yeah, he got 48 points. And if you watch the game, you know he's the reason that they made a comeback to get in it, that they forced overtime. But he also had some bad turnovers and some, you know, and took some terrible shots. So you had some people saying, yo, it's too much. Like, you, you, Trey Young, that was awful today. And you had other people going, hold up. Like, Trey, Trey Young is not the problem at Oklahoma. The problem is other things at Oklahoma, but it's not Trey Young. The reason Oklahoma's good uh, and was in overtime is because of Trey Young. And I guess what I would say is this. Because one of the arguments was, like right now, Trey Young is averaging 21 shots a game, and he's making 44% of them. He's averaging 12 three-pointers a game, and he's making 39% of them. And people would say, so Trey Young's not the problem. And I agree. Those are his season averages. Those are fine. If he takes 20.6 shots per game and makes 44.2% of them, and takes 12 three-pointers per game and makes 39.2% of them, that's give me that every day. But that's not what he's been lately. Here's what he is in the past two games, both of which are losses. He's averaging 30 shots and making just 36.7% of them. He's averaging 15 three-pointers and he's made just 33.3% of them. So these last two games are not a reflection of what he actually was in all of the previous games. His season averages are averages are still fine. But the past two games, it's been a little excessive. And sort of the point I made in the column is like, obviously, Lon Kruger, I'll leave it up to him. But it might be time to dial it back a little bit. I'm cool with you taking 20 shots per game and making 44% of them, 12 three-pointers a game and making 39% of them. But when you go up to 30 shots a game and you're only making 36, 37% of them, 15 three-pointers a game and you're only making 33 now we got a problem. Trey Young has been a problem the past two games. He's been unbelievable national player of the year and everything prior to that. But in the past two games, he's he's been an issue, and they, they've got to figure out some sort of balance there. Yeah, I believe uh, the way to say it was for most of the season, Trey Young was a problem. And now he's a problem. <laughs> now he's a problem. Well, uh, if, yeah. if only you would have if only you would have been on Slack to give me that line Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um 
good win for Oklahoma State to get that. Uh, this is only continuing to keep Kansas a bigger uh, room for, for error, more room for error atop the Big 12 standings. Um, I get uh, the criticism to try. In fact, it's probably validated. Uh, some of this is it was a natural regression to the mean as well. Um, he's finally showing he's capable of having uh, bad games and making a lot of bad decisions. Um, I would expect there to be um, some significant tweaks uh, to what's happening with this offense. Now, the ball's still going to be in Young's hands because they are um, in the national conversation and considered or at least consider themselves to be a Final Four hopeful. And I would, too. I would still consider this team to be a Final Four hopeful. Um, thanks it, because of Young. Now, sure. what's interesting about his teammates is sometimes, you know, I wonder if uh, unknowingly he might have – influence over the way they play check out how his teammates shot in that game against Oklahoma State their shooting percentages uh, weren't exactly great either but um, there have been plenty oh of his, his teammates were worse than him yeah so they so, so as, as bad of a uh, shooting percentage as he had in that game his teammates were actually worse yeah it has to be noted and plenty of times earlier this season uh you know, when Trey has just been, you know, getting eight, nine, ten assists a game, um, shooting well, his teammates have been doing the same. So actually, the way that he plays may have uh, an unspoken influence over uh, the rest of the Sooners. I'm I'm interested to see in this upcoming game here how Trey ups to play and if this gets into his head a little bit because it's not like you know, like remember. Um, it was it was you know 2006 2007 something like that when Kobe was starting to get a lot of criticism that he was a yeah. ball hog. Dude, said, I was well, just, thinking, just not, I'm I not going to take a shot. I was just thinking about this two yeah. minutes ago. Yeah, so then he was, he was like, "I'm just not going to take a shot," Correct. and that was detrimental to the Lakers. That's not what Trey needs or will or should do because he already is a distributor naturally. But I am interested to see if what's happened here almost just pushes him to the other side a little bit where um, are we not going to see the Trey Young we have seen for most of the season in the next game or two, and is that going to be a good thing or not? Or are they just not going to mess with us and say, hey, man, just dial back on a few of the shots, but keeping who you are because it's because of who you are that we've gotten to this point, um, it will be interesting. Big picture, Parrish, what I'm interested in is um, – and and for listeners, I, I you know uh, we like to vary up our topics here, and and I know we've been very mainstream on this particular episode, but it wasn't a huge weekend with a ton of crazy results. We've got our big headline topics that we feel like talking about, but um, I feel as though opinions on Trey Young and backlash and anti backlash and anti anti backlash. I almost feel like this could be coming, which would get a little exhausting, um, but because. He is a small dude who takes a lot of shots, some of them from 32 feet away, makes some bad decisions with turnovers. Um, I, I almost feel like this is going to be the the currency of conversation on a national level uh, for college basketball. We'll try and keep it uh, level-headed, smart, and, uh, and dodge perhaps uh, obvious pitfalls with that. But I, I don't think this is going to be avoidable. Um, because Trey Young is who he is, and he's on. When you watch him, there's no one else in college basketball like him this season. Um, I I do think that that uh, that that is certainly coming. I would say, barring an onslaught of overwhelming evidence here, um, 
Oklahoma is where it is because Trey Young's been awesome. And sure. they need to rely on that going forward. And there's going to be some bad, but there's going to be a lot more good than bad. And sure, you can pick apart his game here and there. But, uh, you know, having someone of Trey Young's ability uh, is is not a problem. And, uh, you know, I, I in, in a micro sense, yeah, perhaps Oklahoma lost against Oklahoma State because of some decisions that Trey Young made. But they're also a top 25 team because of what he's done. No question. And if you watch the game on Saturday, like I think this is perhaps this is always true, but I think it's definitely true in this particular game. You look at the box score, you go, ooh, 39 shots, shooting that percentage, um, those turnovers. But Trey Young was bad, and he was bad in moments. He was also spectacular in moments. The bad was honestly, most of the first half, and there was a play, final seconds, like like 20 seconds left, first half, and they're down nine with the ball in his hands. And you go, okay, well, like, because they were down big early. Like, it was bad. I mean, it was like 20 to four or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know the exact, I don't remember, but it was bad. And they climb back in, climb back in, they're down nine, he's got the ball in his hands. So you go, okay, worst case scenario, you go in the, you know, that's what coaches always say. We got to get it to single digits. Well, you're in single digits. So worst case scenario, you're going to be in single digits going to the half. And if Trey just pulls up from, you know, 28 feet right now, which he might do as I'm speaking. Um, okay. You go down six. Like either way, this is, this is not devastating. And then he just throws a lazy skip pass to the corner, gets picked off. They go the other way. Um, Oklahoma state hits a three at the buzzer and you go down 12. I mean, that was, at the very least, a you know a three point swing, but it was in theory uh, uh, possibly like a six point swing, just because it was a lazy, uh, uh, and maybe lazy is the wrong word. It was just not a smart pass. Like he tried to thread a needle in a place where obviously um, it didn't work out. So that kind of stuff is just maddening. But in the second half, you watch that game. The only reason they get back into it. You know, they had to overcome a double-digit deficit at the half. The only reason they get back into it is because of him, his shot-making ability. The only reason they go up in the final minutes is because of him. And honestly, if Oklahoma State misses, like they, Oklahoma State tied it at the buzzer of regulation. So Oklahoma was up three with like a second to go. And if the, you know, if Oklahoma State just misses that shot, they 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 win, and we're, we're not even having these conversations. So um, thin line and all that. But, yeah, he, he had some bad moments, and 39 shots seems excessive. But he was he also was fabulous in that second half for the most part. And he's the reason, like you said, big picture, that they're good, the reason that they've been in the top 10 much of this season, and he's the reason they had an opportunity to win that game after going down uh, big numbers uh, early. I would say this, though. It became clear um, at certain points in that game, and especially on the final possession, that Oklahoma State had just decided anybody's beaten us but Trey Young. They were literally running two people at him. And in the game prior, um, that that happened a lot as well. I think it was Kansas State the game prior, where they were just they were running two people at him and and just making everything difficult. And so I do think where he's been averaging about 20 shots per game, it's been under different circumstances as well. Um, teams are starting to just say, you know what, we, we somebody else on that Oklahoma roster is going to beat us. 
if he gets 20 assists, he gets 20 assists. But we're going to make every shot difficult for him, which I think is why he's shooting a lower percentage and why he's starting to pull from 30 feet more often than he did earlier, because that's like the among the only clear looks he's getting. And so uh, you have to adjust for how teams are going to start playing him. And if they're genuinely going to to run two people at him, like on the final possession, I don't know if you saw it, but um, they it was clear Oklahoma's going to get the ball to him after calling a timeout, which, by the way, that timeout was a mistake. You know, Christian James had the ball with about seven seconds left. Should have just thrown it to Trey and let him run up court against a scrambling defense, get fouled, take a shot, whatever. Instead, he calls a timeout. Oklahoma State has time to set up, breathe. And they just put two people on Trey Young. And Trey did get the ball, but it like he he had to do everything he could just to get it across half court. And then he got a shot off barely, but it never had a chance. And so like clearly somebody was open somewhere and he was never even looking for them. He was going to get that shot off. So when people start playing you that way, um, you've got to adjust. I think they'll be fine. And I still think they can go to a final four based on his ability and their ability um, on the offensive end of the court. But there, there is some adjust, adjustments that need to be made. And, uh, you know, since they got one of the best coaches in the country, I suspect that they'll make it. Next up, Kansas on Tuesday night. So either we will be having a conversation on, let's say, Wednesday about Oklahoma beating the 13-time Big 12 champs while Trey Young, I mean, they ain't beating Kansas unless Trey Young plays well or at least puts up big numbers. So, like, Trey Young going to put up big numbers. They're going to beat Kansas, and everything will be cool. Or they'll be on a three-game losing streak. What do you think it's going to be? Man, this is a harder one for me than than I thought it would be. Um, I, I'm just not all in on Kansas right now. Um, how'd they do over the weekend, by the way? They beat, beat Baylor, but struggled. They were yeah, down late. Yeah, that's what it was. No, I did see I saw that. I saw some of that briefly. That's what it was. Cause I got a, 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 yeah. It was close. Man, this is Oklahoma gets this one at home. I'm going to take Oklahoma. Get it at home. Trey Young gets right. Yeah, give me the Sooners. Uh, that could be a really, really fun, great game. That'll be, you know, marquee game there on Tuesday night. Um, and I think that's one that a lot of people will be interested in tuning into. But I'll take, uh, I'll take the Sooners. Uh, let's go like 86, 81. And uh, yeah, we're going to do Trey Young over under right now. Hell yeah, we are, especially after <laughs> what happened over the weekend here. So this is going to be interesting. We're going to do, um, we'll do points, assists, and yes, we're going to do turnovers here. Uh, so GP, I will go points for Trey. He just had 48. <laughs> oh man. Uh, and he's going to be at home. Uh, I will go, I will go 31 points, 31.5 points. And I will go 11.5 assists, and I will go 7.5 turnovers. What are we going here with? I'm going under on points. Under 31.5. I'm yes. with you. Over on assist. I'm with you. Over 11.5. I'm with you. Under on turnovers. I think he's going to play well, post big assist numbers, get somewhere between 25 and 30 points, and I think Oklahoma wins the game. We're uh, unfortunately we are on the same page in regard to all of that stuff, so we should. And, and I'm with I'm with you on Kansas. Like on one hand, like they're alone atop the Big Twelve standings, like they're alone atop the league standings of the best league in the country. On the other hand, I don't. I, and I I I guess they're just going to keep making me look stupid. I don't think they're great. I just don't think they're great. They're not great. I agree with that. 
I, I think they're very good. I've got them in the top five, but I don't think they're great. And they've had to work way harder to win some of these games than they they usually uh, than they usually do. Like they were they were in a bad spot against Baylor the other night, and uh, you know they got out of it, but they were in a, a bad spot. Um, I, you know, they were down big at West Virginia rallied back. So give them credit for that. But like they were down big at West Virginia. Uh, they struggled with Kansas state at home. They struggled with Iowa state at home. They won by four at TCU. And I guess we should point out a couple of roster developments, um, that happened over the weekend. Um, Jalen or like in, since last time we spoke, Jalen Fisher out for the season at TCU. That's a killer. That's he just... was. I mean, he was so good for them. He was so good for them this season. Second straight season, he's going to have to end the season uh, in street clothes. So that's a significant Big 12 development. And then um, Billy Preston's going to Bastia. Dude, I saw that this morning. <laughs> that was that did not ping my radar uh, at all uh, up, in, up in VT. And so... Yeah, they basically just got tired of waiting, though. That's what this comes down to. We do not have a ruling. The family just didn't want him to sit around and continually wait on eligibility. Parrish, I'll just say, with that as backdrop, they I, I find it unlikely that there was an optimistic and positive outcome coming for Preston anytime soon. They were probably told or given the strong impression, hey, you know... We don't know when this is going to be cleared up. We don't know if you're going to have any sort of eligibility, and they just they bounced. Um, that's that's the impression I get. Perhaps more information will come out that will uh, refute that. But what is your take on it? Yeah, well, I mean, the the mother's quotes were along the lines of, "We, you know, they wouldn't give us answers, and we didn't seem close to a resolution. We were tired of waiting. He just wants to play basketball. We're going to Bosnia. We're taking our talents to Bosnia." Um, as always, there's, there's probably more to the story. I bet you, if you talk to somebody at the NCAA who handled this case, they would tell you that, yeah, we were requesting this and that and that. And, um, you know, the, the reason it was taking so long is because we, you know, we are thoroughly looking through everything and we didn't have access to everything we wanted to look through. Um, that, that is usually the way these types of cases go. I always go back to the Renardo Sydney case at Mississippi State. The family would and the lawyer would consistently release statements that sounded a lot like Billy Preston's mother. And what the NCAA, what, well, what sources within the NCAA would tell you would be, yo, it, it, the reason this is taking so long ain't because of us. We told them what we need. They haven't given it to us. You know, they, or they're saying, you, you have no right. That, that's what it would always be. The, 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 the Sydney's lawyer, the Sydney family, they would always say, you don't have a right to go through my grandmother's checking account statements for the past three years. And the NCAA would say, okay, well, just uh, we'll be sitting here. If you ever want to cooperate with our investigation, we'll be happy to move forward till then. We'll just be sitting here. And that is the way a lot of NCAA cases go. Um, you know, the, the NCAA says, we are not going to move forward until we see what it is we want to see, till we go through what it is we want to go through. And I'm not saying it's the case here. I'm just saying it is the case often that somebody connected to something is hesitant to, um, you know, to, 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 to go that direction. And so, you know, here we are. Uh, but I bet you the NCAA isn't giving us answers um, 
isn't a full version of of reality. Um, I bet you the NCAA has a different version of of that story. Um, either way, it it became clear, you know, once he crashed that car, that this was going to be a problem. And clearly, there's a problem with the vehicle. Otherwise, this would have been resolved very quickly. So now he's a professional. And I'm sure he's making a nice little paycheck or maybe a great paycheck to go to Bosnia. Um, but it is another uh, – he's the second five-star player from that class who is not going to to ever play college basketball. Um, uh, the other being, of course, Mitchell Robinson who went to Western Kentucky and then left. And then, um, you know, he, I guess he's somewhere at IMG, I guess, maybe right now training or somewhere training. But – uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a it's it's been a weird year for that kind of thing. There are legitimate NBA prospects, Billy Preston being one of them, um, that that aren't playing college basketball right now. Austin Wiley, of course, at Auburn, um, DeAnthony Melton at, at USC, and this is all in one way or another connected to the FBI probe. Um, that seems uh, that seems clear. And, you know, it's a different time in college basketball. I guess we'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, it is. It definitely is, and. Uh... Overall, um, man, <laughs> just interesting weekend, I guess. Uh, and and now we we turn forward to the second half of the month here. A lot more developments. Um, this upcoming weekend we have SEC Big 12 Challenge, so there are some interesting non-conference games still left on the schedule. GP, I did just want to say real quick. So I was on the uh, I was on the lift uh, at Killington, and I was with my buddy, and then. One of one of his friends, and uh, he was just asking like what we did and stuff like that. And I said, oh, "I'm a sports writer and all this stuff. I color, co- cover college hoops, but it's a four person lift. So there was another uh, a single that had hopped in the line and got on with us. And like halfway up, uh, this guy goes, "Did you did you say you're a sports writer?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah." And he's like, "What? And you cover college basketball?" And I said, "Yes." He said, "Well, who do you write for?" And I said, "Well, I write for CBSSports.com." He goes. Oh, okay. What what is your name? And then I told him my name. He goes, "I knew you were gonna say that, man. I read <laughs> I read you. I read Gary Parish all the time. You guys are great." And it was uh it was kind of a surreal thing sitting there on a lift. Uh, <laughs> but he did not listen to the podcast. I did not get the gentleman's name. Um, but I did tell him, listen, if you love uh college hoops, I, I cannot recommend the Eye on College Basketball podcast. <laughs> hey, if you love college basketball, I cannot recommend you listen to me more no, often. No, no. Yeah, I, I, I said I can't highly – I just I can't recommend to you any more highly than I am right now. Yeah, you know, you're such a kind person. I appreciate that. So if this gentleman is listening to this podcast now, um, pleasure to meet you on the lift. Hope the runs were as good for you as they were for me, and that was just uh, just a random thing. I wouldn't have even been talking about that if uh, my buddy's friend had not asked me about what we did for a living. And so, uh, so there we go. Just happened to run into someone who uh, reads your stuff as well as mine, and perhaps got another podcast listener there. That was pretty well. Cool. Then, then shout out to him. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast over at iTunes. Rated favorably, please. Five stars with nice comments. That's all we ask, and we will talk to you again. Let's plan on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care.